The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Now, you know, almost by reflex, after I say that I'm supposed to go, I'm joined by my co-host, Dave, but I'm not joined by my co-host, Dave. I'm joined by no co-host this week. I am all by myself in the studio. studio. We got a little one-on-one session, just you, the listener, and me, and we're going to talk, and I'll admit to you straight out, when it's just me in the studio, I'm a little worried um, to kind of have to carry the load on my own. There are a lot of radio hosts out there who can do that. Uh, You know, when I think of sports radio, I think of somebody like Colin Cowherd who can talk for like a whole three hour show just himself or somebody like Rush Limbaugh who can talk the whole time just by himself and does just fine. And I don't know how they do it. I'm not that kind of professional. And so I think we're going to get through it together. Um, I'm excited for this show. We got a lot of great stuff going on. I'm going to tell you all about it in just a second. But first, thanks for joining us, by the way. But first, Um, How do you get in touch with us? Well, if you want to email the show, if you have uh, an idea for a a segment, if you have a question you want uh, me to answer on the air, you want one of the co-hosts to answer on the air, or if you just want to give us some much warranted show critique, criticism, how can we make the show better, email us, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. I actually do read every email. I respond to the vast majority of them, unless uh, they're just, you know, mean. And, you know, we get some of those, but particularly if it's a compliment, I'll definitely respond to it. Um, that's breakthebusiness at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. You can also follow and interact with me on Twitter. Uh, follow me at Ryan K-A-I-R. That's R-Y-A-N in the first four letters of my last name, K-A-I-R. I love talking to fans, listeners, artists on Twitter. Um, and it's a great way to find out when there are updates with the podcast. Um, I do all that through my Twitter account. Again, that's at Ryan K-A-I-R. And if you like the podcast, if you like some of the stuff that we're doing, if you like the guests that we have and you want to show us some love, well, there's two ways you can do that. You can reach out to us on uh, iTunes or SoundCloud, throw us a high rating, maybe give us a sweet review, um, and be sure to throw us a subscription. Uh, Subscribe to us either on iTunes or SoundCloud so you get the new episodes as they come up every week with our new guests every week. And this week's guest... I am particularly excited to speak with Aaron M. Jacobson, the music industry lawyer. Um, You might wonder, how does she get that title? I am a lawyer in the music industry, but I would not purport to call myself the music industry lawyer because Aaron M. Jacobson is the music industry lawyer. She is super talented. She's super smart. She writes a lot of great articles. She does a lot of great stuff for indie artists and Aside from all that, she's really cool. You check out her website, themusicindustrylawyer.com. It's just a cool website. She's a cool person. And it's going to be great to talk with her in the next segment. We're going to talk a lot about how you can reach out to lawyers. When do you need a lawyer? What kind of lawyer do you need? How do you pay for a lawyer if you can't afford one? Um, And she's just super knowledgeable. We're going to ask her a lot of things about how indie artists can grow their careers. And it's just going to be a treat to have her on in the next segment. So stick around for that, for sure, that's Aaron M. Jacobson, the music industry lawyer. Um, in terms of updates, let's see, what's going on in the world? Well, um, I'm actually going to be not in Miami. Don't worry, the show is going to happen next week, but I won't be in Miami next week because I'm going to be in Los Angeles. I will be attending uh, the National Association of Music Manufacturers Conference, NAM. Uh, this is my first trip to NAM. Uh, I thank my sister, Lauren, very much for uh, setting me up with some tickets to it. Um, I'm excited to go um, to sort of talk about, I look forward to networking, talking about the podcast. If you're going to be at NAM, let me know. Send me an email, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. Maybe we could stop by, say hi. Um, I, I'd love to meet you if you're an artist out there and uh, you're going to be at NAM. I'll be in Los Angeles uh, next weekend. Um I look forward to meeting you if you're if you're at the conference. Again, that's uh, NAM conference next weekend in Anaheim, I think. I'm flying into L.A., but either way, um, what else is going on? Well, the book's going on. Um, I met with the publisher last week. We're going to do a soft launch of the book on ebook this coming week. 
Um, I'll tweet out when that's going down, but it's going to be a soft launch uh, to start out. Basically, you know, we're going to get the book out there, you know, let people buy it. You'll be able to buy it. Um, but it's sort of our way to sort of see uh, how people are receiving the book, if there's any errors in it. I mean, we've checked it five billion times. The publisher, the editor, me. I'm sure we're going to find errors anyway, though. Like errors just happen to come up in books all the time. And but a soft launch gives you, the reader, a chance to read through it. Maybe you'll find something um, that's wrong with the formatting of the book or whatever. But it will. But you'll have your first chance to buy the book then. And after a few weeks of soft launch, we'll do the real launch. We're gonna have a big um, formal event. We have a bunch of stuff coming out, um, and that's gonna coincide with the physical launch of the book, where you can buy um, the actual physical copy of the book. I'm excited. This book's finally coming out. Uh, it seems like so long ago. I, I've I've told you so many times that the book's coming out, the book's coming out. I feel like I've just lied to you perpetually. And it's nice to finally make good on my promise and have some honesty. So many people have asked me about the book. I'm so flattered that so many people have asked me about the book. Um, I am really looking forward to sharing it with all of you, particularly indie artists who are looking... Um, for just some good information on how to achieve success in the music industry on your own terms, um, looking for a nice user-friendly layperson's guide to the pitfalls of record contracts, uh, you can find all of that in the book. Uh, Break the business, declaring your independence, and achieving true success in the music industry. If you want to be the first to find out about when the book's coming out and when you can find it on Kindle, because it's going to be an ebook first, um, follow me on Twitter. You follow me on Twitter, I will, uh, you'll be the first to know about when this book's coming out. And I, again, am so excited to share it with you. Um, before we get to Aaron M. Jacobson in the next segment, I'm sort of rushing through because I really want to talk to Aaron because um, she's going to be really, really awesome. And, uh, you know, just to get her insight on so many different things. But a couple, a couple things in the news that have just depressed me. Um, it's been a bad week for losing awesome artists who have been just very important uh, to me and to society. I mean, first of all, losing Alan Rickman a few days ago, that really stinks. I know he's not a musician, and this is a music podcast, but the man was just a real artist and an incredible actor, um, one of my favorite actors. You know, I remember when I found out about his death, and this was just a few days after David Bowie left us, and we'll get to that, folks, don't worry, Um, and I remember my first reaction when just seeing, you know, it across my Twitter timeline that Alan Rickman had left us. My first reaction was just, oh, come on, Alan Rickman. Of We're losing him. Like we just lost David Bowie, who's an amazing artist. Now, Alan Rickman, an amazing actor. Just uh, it, it broke my heart. Um, he's had so many iconic roles. Most people know him from the Harry Potter series. Um, and I'm not a big Harry Potter fan. I mean, I'm not not a Harry Potter fan. Um, but you know, the Harry Potter movies are, are good to me. They're okay. But his performance, um, is incredible. Everything he does is awesome. Um, some other great movies you can see him in are Die Hard. Obviously he was tremendous in Die Hard. I'm, I'm going to do a Die Hard rewatch, uh, just so I can, uh, bathe myself in Alan Rickman's talents. I mean, one of his finest performances one last time, um, Dogma, a great Kevin Smith movie. Uh, Alan Rickman, you know, in many ways carries that movie. He is so good in Dogma. And Alan Rickman is also the um, one of the stars of the one romantic comedy I like. I think my rule with romantic comedies is even if you don't like romantic comedies, as I'm not a big fan of them, but I think even people who don't like romantic comedies, you have the one romantic comedy that you make an exception for. Everybody's got the one. And my one is Love Actually. I love that movie. I make no apologies for it. You can question my masculinity until you are blue in the face. I do not care. I freaking love Love Actually. I will stop on it every time. And one of the reasons why I like it is because Alan Rickman's performance is so awesome. Um, and one of my own memories of Alan Rickman is I actually got to see him on Broadway about uh, four, three, four years ago, something like that. He was in a play called Seminar on Broadway. Uh, uh, he started it alongside Jerry O'Connell, and you know it was a it was a it was a great play, and just it was Alan Rickman at his most Alan Rickman. It was so cool. And now that he has left us, and that just crushes me because I'd love to see him in like a hundred more movies. 
um, I at least take a small, infinitesimal amount of solace in the fact that I got to see him uh, live on Broadway at least, at least once. And that just, that's, uh, you know, again, a very small amount of solace because I'm so sad that Alan has left us. Other than that, um, God, David Bowie. Oh man, this is, this is just so crushing. Um, what a rough week. And, you know, and I know we've lost, you know, Lemmy a few days before then too. And just, oh, but, uh, David Bowie, one of the greats, one of the true icons of our industry, a true artist in every sense of the word. Um, it's one thing to be able to have great staying power in the music industry, to be able to go for decade after decade. That's already very hard to do because artists have a shelf life. Even the greatest artists, they're going to give you, you know, maybe 10, 20 years before they kind of fizzle out. But you have a few that can have long-term staying power, and David Bowie's one of them. But among that group of people that have long-term staying power, there's an even smaller segment of musicians that have that long-term staying power because they're able to reinvent themselves over and over and, you know, you know, break into new genres and do new things and take chances. And every time you take a chance, people love what you do. And in that subset of the subset, you know, David Bowie stands nearly alone among artists who've been able to do that. Um, not only has he had staying power, but he's had staying power in multiple genres, multiple styles. And, um, it's, you know, we, we've lost a true artist, a true creative being and a marvelous person in David Bowie. Um, my favorite David Bowie song, and this is cheesy because it's, you know, it's kind of one of his mainstream was, but, um, I love space oddity. I love that song. I love songs where they just, they lend themselves so well to being covered. Like it's a special kind of song where many different artists can cover it. And it sounds wonderful because the soul of that song comes through regardless of the style of the particular recording artist, regardless of the voice of the particular recording artist. And Space Oddity is one of those songs, and it's a testament to Bowie's genius. And, I mean, I love that song because, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a very average guitar player. I'm not, in any sense of the word, good at that instrument, but I'm okay. And But even when I was not even okay, but terrible, when I was first learning it, you know, one of the songs that I could at least play a little bit was Space Oddity because it's not a, it's not an incredibly complex chord progression, but it sounds so wonderful nonetheless. And I mean, even the night we lost David Bowie, I got out my guitar and I played Space Oddity and it, it was, it was oddly comforting. Um, you know, that, that familiarity of, you know, that, that simple yet powerful chord progression. Um, um, and, and, and that song takes on a whole meaning when the person who created it is no longer with us because it is a song about, you know, loss and, you know, somebody dying. And, you know, when you play that, you know, with David Bowie leaving us, it's it's a whole lot of uh, you know, a whole lot of emotions. But, you know, God, what a rough week for the entertainment industry to lose those two phenomenal artists. Um, and God, I, am I going to have am I going to have to segue from this? into an Aaron M. Jacobson interview. That's not fair to Aaron. I can't do that to Aaron. I gotta, I gotta talk about something else like that's a little more lighthearted because I can't be like dark, sad, sad, dark. And now here's Aaron Jacobson. No, that's not fair. Let me, what's, what else is going on in the world? We got Nam, got the book. Um, we lost two giants. Um, let's, I mean, well, I'll I'll say this. I, I told you last week that, uh, I got engaged. Yeah. You know what? Let me, yeah. Let me have the studio audience give me some love. Um, I'm I'm so happy. Uh, you know, when you're 30 years old, as I am, I just turned 30. Um, I'm when you hit 30, you just start to get to that age where, and I think 30 is the first year where this happens. It's the it's the it's the age where you feel you start to feel weird when you call somebody your girlfriend, girlfriend, you know, or you know. You're, when, you, when you call your, your whoever your whoever your partner is, whoever who you're dating at the time, girlfriend, boyfriend, when you use that term and you hit 30, at least for me, it, it, it feels squirrely. Um, like, I mean, I feel like people are judging me when I use that term. Like, oh, girlfriend, that's 
Like by the time you hit 30, girlfriend becomes less the term for the use for the person you're committed to and more of this is the person you're having the affair with while your you know, spouse is at home, none the wiser. Like, oh, he's got a girlfriend on the side. Uh, she's got a boyfriend on the side. He's got a boyfriend on the side, whatever it is. Um, and so all of that being, you know, what all of that is meant to say is it's so nice to be able to use the term fiance finally. Um, and she is a wonderful fiance and I'm so happy. And, uh, one of the things I've tried to do for the wedding, and this is, I think this is lighthearted is I'm trying to lose some weight for the wedding. I'm trying to get into a little better shape. I've never been a amazing physical specimen. You know, I've never, I was never an athlete in school. I was perpetually picked last for athletic endeavors, but I feel like in the last couple of years or so, when you get on the wrong, when you get closer to 30 than 20, like it gets harder to stay in shape. And when you, and I, as I've been working more with my legal practice, um, you know, you're sitting down all the time. It's hard to find time to exercise. And, you know, I've put on a few extra and I'm trying to, I'm trying to trim up. I'm trying to get back into shape because I want, you know, I want to do this for my fiance. I want a wedding to start and me being in the best physical condition I can be in, which by the way, is still not that good. But it's better than where I am now, and it's a nice thing I want to do for her. And, you know, so far, so good. I've been, you know, exercising for a couple weeks. I've had some positive results. Uh, The weight doesn't come off like it used to, man. God, in college, I could, you know, like I could eat, you know, an entire carton of ice cream and lose a couple pounds just from how fast I ate the ice cream. But now, you know, I have to eat right and exercise and, you know, do everything right. And even then, like maybe I'll lose like a pound a year. But it's coming off. It's coming off slowly, and but it's tough, man. God, do I miss French fries? I like. I'm glad David is not here right now because I could strangle a man for a single French fry to touch my tongue. I miss though that food so much. But I've been staying away from it. I've been staying away from French fries and sweets and cookies and oh god, all that delicious. No, focus, focus, Ryan. Come on, stay on your. I'll, you know what? Stay on my goal. Yes, and. Listeners, listeners, I, 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 I beseech you, I, I pray to you, I, I ask you, um, do you all have any weight loss tips, particularly for some of you indie artists out there who seem to be looking so good in your photos, uh, uh, ladies, gentlemen, if you have any tips for how I can stay in shape, um, send them to breakthebusiness at gmail.com. That's right. This is a music business podcast, but I'm going to solicit some weight loss advice on the air because, man, I want to look good for my wedding. And my wedding's coming up. It's only like four months away, so I don't have a lot of time. So let's let's go. Let's make with the advice. Breakthebusiness at gmail.com. And a few things I'm going to ask from you all in terms of the advice, okay? First things first, don't 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 send me advice about doing like ridiculous workout. I don't want to see the word CrossFit in any of the emails that are sent to me, all right? I I have neither the time nor the inclination nor the athleticism to do crazy kind of, you know, Marine Corps workouts, all right? Um this has got to be stuff that I can do in my schedule. Like I'm a, you know, I I'm a very I'm a busy lawyer. I work super hard. Um I don't have time to like, you know, go, you know, do crazy CrossFit stuff, all right? It's got to kind of fit in my schedule. And still be effective, but also understanding the fact that I'm not a tremendous athlete. And other than that, like, yeah, maybe some good dieting tips. Now, keep in mind, I, and again, I know I'm being so demanding. On one hand, it's like, I want to lose weight. And on the other hand, it's like, I don't want it to be even the least bit painful. And I know I have to make sacrifices, but um, don't try to cut meat out of the diet. I I mean, I, I can give up red meat, but, you know, damn it if I, you know, have to give up chicken. I... I love chicken. Like, don't take chicken from me. I beg you. Um, But, you know, you know, let me keep my meat. And other than that, I'm pretty open to most types of food suggestions. All right. Anyway, that's that's, you know, enough of that. Um, Thank you all very, very much for listening as I uh, I ramble on without my co-host. How did I do? Did I do okay, listeners? Uh, Am I surviving without uh, somebody else from across the table? God, I miss Dave. Hang on, let me throw a Dave sound effect at me just to kind of tide me over. Wrong! Ah, miss you, buddy. All right, um, thank you all very, very much for listening in this first segment. Um, I'm super excited to have Erin M. Jacobson on the show, and she's going to be joining us next on the Break the Business podcast. Are you an independent artist looking to promote a recent release or crowdfunding campaign? If so, the Break the Business podcast would love to help you out by giving you a shout-out on the air. Email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com 
and tell us about yourself and your project. It won't cost you anything. We're just looking for a way to give back to the artistic community that's given us so much. Again, that's breakthebusiness at gmail.com for a free shout-out. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. She is a celebrated entertainment lawyer, author, blogger, and speaker based out of Los Angeles, California. In her legal practice, she handles a wide variety of entertainment deals and intellectual property matters for her music industry clients. She is also the founder of Indie Artist Resource, which provides template documents, copyright registration assistance, consultations, and other services to give DIY artists legal and business protection. You can find her on the Sonic Bids blog on her Ask a Music Lawyer column, and you can find her at her website, themusicindustrylawyer.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Aaron M. Jacobson is on the Break the Business podcast. Hello, Aaron. Thanks for being on the show. Hi, Ryan. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time out. And let me just say this right from the outset, Um, you know, We've never actually had the pleasure of meeting in person, but I've checked out your website. I've read your articles. I've I've seen what kind of what you're about, and I'm puzzled by something. You okay. seem really, really cool, and I'm a lawyer as well, and I can tell you, we're not supposed to be cool. Like, <laughs> I'm a lawyer, and I got this way. My road to being a lawyer is paved with many, many years of getting hit by dodgeballs, and getting picked last in sports and playing lots of RPG video games. But everything about what you got going on seems like you just found a loophole and you got to be a lawyer and be cool. How is that possible? (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it is true. When people find out that I'm a lawyer, they're like, oh, and then they find out what kind of law I do and they're like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I guess maybe it just comes from the fact that I've always loved music and I've, I grew up being a huge Elvis Presley fan. I love classic rock. I love rock music. I went to USC for my undergrad, and I was a DJ at the campus radio station, and I was the one that had some independent band in the studio with me every week, and we'd do an interview and a live set, and I'd promote concerts on campus. And, and then I actually had a podcast in between college and law school for independent bands in LA. And so I went to law school with the intention of becoming a music lawyer, but I don't know. I, I, I guess it's just my personality that factored in there. So, um, you, you sort of touched on it a little bit at the tail end there, but, um, can you give the folks a little bit more about your background? Um, you know, did you always want to be a music lawyer? Um, was there things you did in law school that helped uh, pave that path for you? Right. So I decided, I think it was in my junior year of college that I wanted to be a music lawyer. Because even though I'd always loved music, I didn't know really what there was to do in the music business besides be a musician. And I knew from an early age that that was really not my calling. And So when I was at USC, they had a music industry program, and I took the the first class in the series, and and then I started learning what agents do, what managers do, what music lawyers do by way of learning about what copyrights are and, and what are these different kinds of contracts that happen in the business, and and I learned then that, oh, there are these types of lawyers that that handle these contracts and work with musicians and labels and all these people. And I thought, that is so cool. I'm going to do that. So, (laughs) (laughs) um, so, you know, by that point I was like laser focused and, um, I applied to law school. I went to Southwestern law school, which is also here in Los Angeles. And they also have a great entertainment law program. So, I went in with that focus that that was what I wanted to do. And that was the program I wanted to be in. And, um, while I was in law, well, I guess I'll back up for a second. So when I was in college, not only was I a DJ at the radio station, but I was also interning at Capitol records and I had interned for Rick D's on the weekly top 40. And I was very into radio and things like that. 
And then when I got to law school, I was involved with a bunch of different entertainment law-related organizations. I was president of our entertainment sports law society at school. I was the student liaison to the American Bar Association's entertainment and sports lawyer forum. I was, you know, by the time I got done with law school, I pretty much knew all the music lawyers in LA and a bunch of other people in the industry. So I, I really did a lot of networking and, and formed a lot of relationships early on, um, which really just went along with my learning because I was able to learn from the people that I was forming relationships with. So, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, uh, (laughs) and that's great. And, and, and throughout your legal career, you have done so much to help indie artists. You, you created the indie artist resource. You have the column on Sonic bids. You represent a lot of indie artists. And so you're particularly well suited to answer, uh, this area of questions. I get, uh, DIY artists coming up to me all the time asking sort of when is the right time to get an entertainment lawyer? What should I look for in an entertainment lawyer? And, um, you know, like what sort of things can an entertainment lawyer do for me as an indie artist? Right. So, okay. So I'll try and go in order there. Um, so when you should get a lawyer, well, first, I guess I should give the disclaimer, right? This is not legal advice. I'm not anybody's attorney that's listening. Um, but, uh, my opinion on when someone should get a lawyer is anytime there's a contract in front of you, you need a lawyer. Anytime there's something legally related that you don't understand, that you have questions on, which can really be as simple as setting up your business, how to, how to do that in the way that's the, the right configuration for your situation or registering a copyright. I mean, anything from the very simple to the more complex, if you don't understand it, you should seek the advice of someone that's experienced uh, in this um, you know, in this field, because there are, I've seen a lot of things where people have gotten a contract, which in a lot of times is actually a simple contract and they don't understand certain terms of it and they sign it anyway, or, you know, they make a decision based on something without fully understanding. And and in some of these cases, actually, the artists have advisors that don't quite know what they're doing as well. And I've had to then correct those people and say, well, no, that's not, that's not right. It needs to be done this way. Um, So it's, I think, as far as a team member, a lawyer is one of the most important parts of an artist team, because at least the way that I deal with my clients, I'm there to protect them. So even if their advisor is saying something that's wrong, I don't have a problem saying, you know what, that's wrong. It need, you know, it needs to be done this way in order to make sure that the artist is protected legally. Um, I don't have a problem saying to an artist, I read over this contract that you've been given and it's a bad deal. And is this a company that you really want to work with? Because I don't think that you should sign it. I'm, I'm not a person that there's so many people in the industry that are going to yes you to death if you're an artist. It's mm-hmm. everything. Yes, you're wonderful. Yes, you should do this. Yes, it's fantastic. Yes, I'm going to make you a star. I'm going to promise you all these things. I don't do that. I'm, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to call it like I see it, you know, um, and and that's because I really care about my artists and I care about um, that their careers and whether they're making good decisions there or not. So, so what sort of, sort of things should an indie artist look for in a lawyer? How important is it for an indie artist to find somebody who really focuses on entertainment law as opposed to just, you know, their uncle Murray who does some real estate work? Oh, that's, I know that's the example that I give all the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's so incredibly important to have someone that focuses their practice on entertainment law and if you're a musician specifically someone that does music law because film and tv is actually 
even though it's also entertainment and there are lawyers that do film and TV and music and that can be okay, but you don't want someone that really focuses on film and TV and is not really familiar with the terms and the custom and practice in the music business, because even though it's all entertainment, they are different. So it's, it's really imperative. And, and as nice as Uncle Murray might be, he is <laughs> not going to know the nuances and the royalty structures and um, things like that that come with entertainment contracts. So I, I kind of have a set of things that I tell people to look for. And, and there's actually an article about this on my website at themusicindustrylawyer.com. But it's I mean, finding the right attorney for you, it's, it's almost like dating. You really have to find the right person for you. And so the things that I tell people to look for are personality, because you're going to be working with this person. You need to be a good fit. You know, your personalities need to be a good fit, and, and you should like the person, hopefully. Um, style, because different attorneys have different styles and, and how they do things and how they negotiate. And uh, you might be looking for different things. Some people are kind of those, um, you know, bulldog types or the screamers that just yell at everybody to try and get their point <laughs> across and other people are not. And so it kind of depends on, you know, what type of person you want representing you. You want to look at the lawyer's reputation. Um, price is is a factor because you need to pay the person. So you need to be able to afford to pay them. Um, location, if you're going to their office and, and that's not now with the internet, that's not always such a huge concern, but uh, you know, sometimes that is an issue. Um, sometimes similarity of clients because maybe you're a rock person and this particular lawyer does pretty much work for all hip hop clients, for example. And, you know, music is music, but that lawyer is going to have different relationships, different connections, things like that. So I think that it's, it's better actually for an artist to be with a lawyer that's sort of in their genre and has relationships in that world because the genres of music do tend to run in different circles sometimes. Mm -hmm. And, and really your needs as an artist as well, if, you know, maybe you need contracts drafted, maybe you need them reviewed, maybe you need advice on structuring your business. Maybe you're in a situation where there's a copyright infringement issue. And in that case, you would need a litigator as opposed to someone that does transactional work, which is just all the contract yeah. aspect of it. So you need to look at all these different factors and and pick the person that you feel most comfortable with. All right. Now let's so let's talk a little bit about dollars and cents now because sure. I'm sure you've come across this issue before. What would mm -hmm. you say to an indie artist um, who says, "I know I need a lawyer to like help me look at a contract or help me register a copyright or help me start an LLC or something like that," but I don't have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. What would you uh, have an art? What would you uh, tell an artist to do in that particular situation? Okay, so there's different. Okay, so there's definitely a lot of firms out there where they will not take an artist unless that artist is bringing in a certain amount of money. So if you're not bringing in that amount of money, then that firm is not going to be an option for you, probably, unless someone loves you and wants to make you their pet project. Um, there are other lawyers that will work with the artist's budget so you can, you know, be honest with the lawyer. Don't be like all gung-ho that you're going to hire them and then go, oh, but I can only pay this much. Like, be upfront, <laughs> ask, ask what the rates are and say, you know... I respect that, but, you know, this is what I can afford. Is there a way that we can work something out with that? And then at that point, the lawyer will either say, no, I can't do it for that. Or, you know, yes, I can do it for that. Or maybe some combination in the middle where in, if it's something simple enough that they can kind of just instruct the artist on what to do and look it over or something like that. So... Sometimes it can be creative, but also 
what I, and this is, I'm sure we'll get into this later, that that's why I started Indie Artist Resource too, because there were artists that needed protection that weren't at the level or weren't at the the point where they could afford to hire a lawyer, but they still needed contracts and, and intellectual property registrations and consultations where they could have some time to ask questions of a music lawyer. And, you know, because of the e-commerce structure of that, uh, it allows independent musicians to get legal services and some protections in place without paying a large retainer up front. Um, and then if you, I guess if you really can't afford anything, there are, um, most states have legal clinics. Um, it'll be usually, mostly they're called something like something lawyers for the arts or something. Yeah. Volunteer um, lawyers for the arts, yeah, things like that. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, and th there is actually a database online and I do, I do have an article about about this topic as well about working with an attorney when you're on a budget. So if you find that article at my website, there's the link for the the legal clinics as well, and then you can look up whatever state you're in and, and contact that legal clinic. What uh, haven't you written an article about? <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> uh, there's you know that that's why there's going to be more coming. <laughs> Sign up on the email list. Right? <laughs> there you go. Nice, good, solid plug. Um, so you've, you know, you, you've had the privilege uh, with work uh, of working with a lot of indie artists, of being around a lot of indie artists, and so you can answer this question either through the legal perspective or even just uh, through music career. But um, can you uh, give us some of the best practices that you you would say your most successful indie artist uh, clients or friends have done uh, in their careers? Yeah. Uh, so. Really, I think the the broad uh, umbrella of that would be is that you have to treat your career in the music business as a business because it's the age-old stereotype, oh, I'm a musician, I, I don't deal with the business aspect. But like it or not, you actually are a business. So... My clients that are the most successful, well, first of all, they create great music. Second of all, they form relationships with other people in the business, like meaningful relationships, not just what can you do for me relationships. They keep a good reputation because if you don't have a good reputation, people are not going to want to work with you. And that's going to make things much more difficult. And I've seen so many artists, you know, become divas and drama queens and, and whatnot because they think that they're entitled to as a creative person. And what it really does is it ruins opportunities for them. So keep a good reputation. And they work really hard. I mean, maybe for the the outside image it's sex drugs and rock and roll but they actually have business plans they keep a mind on their business they watch their royalties they make sure that they're that they're registered for the services that they should be registered for to get paid they they have a mind of what's going on even if they're not the one that's negotiating the contract or things like that they still want to understand what they're getting into which i think is so important and i kind of do that automatically with my clients and where where i want them to understand what they're signing so even though i've gone over it and i can do the whole thing without talking to them about it and just, I, I sit down with them and I say, okay, this is what the contract says and this is what the other side wants and I think this is good or not good or whatever the situation is. And I, you know, I do have some clients that say, you know, you just handle it. I don't want to deal with it. And, you know, that's fine. I, I know that they're in good hands when I handle the deal for them, but I still think that they should know what's going on and the ones that are my more successful clients do know what's going on and 
On the other hand, there's the ones that make some big mistakes as well. So I don't know if you want to get into that. Yeah, that was actually my next question. Okay. Uh, what are some I'm of the biggest mistakes? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so I would say two of the big mistakes. One is not properly managing the intellectual property because that the intellectual property, you know, your copyrights in your songs, things like that. That's like the basis of your career. That's what that's where your royalties are coming from is because of the copyrights that you own in in that intellectual property. So um I, I've seen so many clients, especially it happens with some of the older clients too, where they, you know, they, they didn't manage it. They didn't keep track of things. And then all of a sudden, you know, they signed with some company and then that company um, got sold to another company or whatever. And then it's just like things get lost in the process. And then you get to a situation where they're going, I'm not getting paid. And then it's going, well, okay, well, where's the contract for this? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you really, it, and it just makes things so much more difficult uh, to, to fix. Um, and then the other issue that I see that happens a lot is that especially with new artists, they get offered a deal and they're so excited to be offered a deal that they want to sign it regardless of whether it's actually a good deal for them or not. And, and again, it's either that where they, they don't have an experienced music lawyer look at it, so they're signing something they don't understand, or they do have somebody look over it, but they ignore the advice and they sign it. <laughs> and, and unfortunately, I've, I've seen this happen, and then they come to me and they go, well, I signed this deal, and it's, it's not working out the way I thought, and, and can you get me out of it, or... You know, I should have listened and, and you were right and I signed it anyway and, and now can you get me out of it? <laughs> and, you know, and sometimes I am successful at, at getting it renegotiated or getting them out of the deal and, and that's always great, but it's so much more difficult to have to go back and do that than to just make a good decision upfront about whether you should actually sign that deal or getting the terms negotiated to where they're good for you in the beginning rather than having a deal already in place and then trying to get it changed when the other side could very well say, no, you signed it. And that's the end of it. Yeah, Very, very so, good point. Uh, listen yeah. to your lawyers. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a label negotiation where I feel like Instead of it being me and the artist against the label, it's the artist and the label against me. Right. Where it's like the label wants to sign, the artist is like, "What do you mean I can't sign? Like I want to sign." And they're, and they're both right. like, they're both like trying to convince me that it's a good contract. Right. Um, yeah, and it's like I know that this is. I know you both want to work together, but yeah. this is not a good situation. Right. Like you're the big bad lawyer getting in the way of their dreams. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, li li listen, listen to Erin artist. She she knows mm -hmm. what she's talking about. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the indie artist resource and what sort of things it offers artists. Right. Okay. So as I briefly mentioned, so indie artist resource is an e-commerce website where there are contract templates that that a user can download, and I've drafted them specifically for the needs of independent musicians. So it's not just some random free template that you found on the internet that may or may not meet your needs that I just cringe every time I see one of those come across my desk and I can immediately tell that someone pulled some free template off the internet <laughs> and then, you know, or maybe three of them and pasted a few clauses from each together. Um, so it, it's not like that. These are contracts that are drafted specifically for independent musicians. Right now, the ones that are up there, th there's going to be more that I'm going to be uh, putting up on the site. But for now, it's kind of the the ones that, that meet 
you know, really the most immediate needs of independent musicians. And then they come with instructions on how to fill in the parts that you need to fill in. So you do have some instruction, as I said, um, rather than just blindly going, what, what do I write here? <laughs> so, so there's that. It also offers um, copyright and trademark registrations and legal consultations uh, for, for independent artists. And because of the, the state licensure requirements, the, the IP registration, the consultation is California residents only, but we are opening up the, the templates for um, people outside of California to download. So that's, that's very exciting. And yeah, and it's, you know, it's very easy because that, that was another thing that, that I noticed that musicians needed. So it's easy. It fits in their budget. You'd go on, you pick what you want to add it to your cart and, you know, you complete the checkout and you download it. So um, there's, there's really no excuse for, you know, when I get that phone call saying my band is breaking up and I don't know who owns our intellectual property. And I say, well, did you have a band agreement? And they say, no, you know, there's no excuse for that anymore because you could go on Indie Artist Resource and download one and have a little meeting with your band and, and just be done with it. Um, because I mean, that's, again, that's part of the reason why, why I started this was that I was getting calls like that. And then I'm seeing these musicians. I'm like, Oh, all that work you put into your band and your songs, and now you're going to lose it all and not be able to continue with that work. And you have no agreement in place and you don't have the resources to go into some sort of litigation to fight for them. So really, if you had just gone and taken care of your business from the get-go, you wouldn't be in this position. Your band might still be breaking up, but at least how, how things are distributed when, when you do break up is clear. Um, or there's those situations where, you know, songwriters are having disputes over the splits of the song. And I'm like, did you do a, a, a you know, songwriter split agreement? Uh, when you wrote the song, no. Well, great. You know, now you're in a pickle. <laughs> so, um, you know, and, I, and I've seen situations where artists have had to give up songwriting credit, you know, because of failure to do these things. So, so you, I'm, I mean, that's one of my big things is really being organized and, um, you know, just paying attention to these to these things because honestly to do them in the beginning is it might seem like a pain but it's so much easier and more beneficial to do them up front than to have to fix them later where you might not be able to fix them later so um yeah and I just there was just this group of musicians that I was seeing that that weren't hiring lawyers and were you know going into deals or proceeding without them without any any sort of guidance and and then they would get into this trouble and some of them were they couldn't afford a lawyer they were scared to hire a lawyer because they thought oh yeah I'm working with the big bad lawyer and um (laughs) you know the, the, the lawyer is on your side or at least they're supposed to be I can't speak for all lawyers but at least I know for my practice I mean I'm there to protect my client and be on my client's side so um but a lot of people have that, like you started the conversation about, you know, lawyers aren't supposed to be cool. And they have this stereotype of this (laughs) scary lawyer that doesn't understand. And, um, you know, and I just said, you know, something has to be done for this, this population of musicians that, that needs these services that, but that aren't getting them because they're not quite ready to hire someone yet. Well, that's a very cool so, thing you've put together, Aaron. That's the Indie you. Artist Resource. Uh, before we let you go, Aaron, and uh, believe me, it has been a pleasure having you. Uh, how can people find you? Website, social media, things like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my website for my practice is themusicindustrylawyer.com. <laughs> Indie Artist Resource is at IndieArtistResource.com. 
On Twitter, I'm EMJ Music Lawyer. And uh, if you go to my websites, there's all my social media links are on there, Facebook, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you can sign up on my email list and uh, keep up with what's happening, get my articles, get insights that I share in the emails, things like that. So cool. I, I think that's the easiest way. And there's con if, if people want to contact me, there's also contact pages on both the, the websites. Um, so if you want to contact me directly, you can do that as well. Outstanding. Aaron, thank you very much. It's been a thank pleasure. You. Um, yeah, it's been great. Thank you. We'll love to have you on again real soon. Uh, take care. Okay. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email at breakthebusiness@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Erin Jacobson for joining us in the previous segment. She was terrific. I really hope we can have her on again. That's the first time we've had an, a lawyer on the show. I mean, other than, you know, the lawyers who host the show, but a lawyer is a guest. And it was it was cool. It was informative. And even though I am a lawyer myself, I love having another lawyer on. I learned so much from having her on. And I know uh, you all learned some stuff, too. You can find out more about what Erin is all about and what she's up to by going to uh, musicindustrylawyer.com and indieartistresource.com and find out more about what she's got going on. You can also uh, check out her uh, column on sonicbids.com. Before we are done for the day, I um, wanted to just, you know, have a little bit of a DIY artist talk. Normally we do the D block here where uh, David uh, plays game shows with me that I lose. Wrong. That's right. But uh, this time uh, we're going to use this segment to just talk a little more about indie artist stuff and um, to discuss an article that I saw in Sonic Bids uh, this past week that uh, I wanted to highlight. I I usually do this throughout the week. I'll read all the different publications uh, about indie artists. There's a lot of great ones out there. And if I find an article that catches my eye, uh, I'll, I'll talk about it on the show, uh, give the person who wrote it credit. And uh, you use it as a jumping off point to talk more about uh, indie artist development and how indie artists can move their careers forward. And I think this was a particularly interesting article to me. It definitely made me think. And so I wanted to share it all with you. This is the, the title of the article was Using Social Media, An Introverted Musician's Guide. It was by Casey Van Wensum on Sonic Bids. And it was a very thought provoking, short, interesting, you know, awesome article. And so basically what it's about is how introverts can succeed in this new music industry. So let's lay out what the landscape is right now. It's the new music industry, the old gatekeepers that used to decide what music came before us are falling away. You don't necessarily need a record label anymore to uh, have a successful music career in recorded music or otherwise. And one of the reasons why is because promotion is now cheaper than ever. Promotion used to be expensive. It used to mean radio play. It used to mean hiring independent promoters. It used to mean going on late night talk shows and having ridiculously expensive music videos. But now it's the 21st century. You don't need those things. Cheap, um, successful promotion is free. Or I should say cheap, successful promotion is within everybody's reach. And that's the good news. The bad news is cheap, successful promotion is in everybody's reach, which means you as an indie artist are in a situation where you're trying to cut through the clutter, where you have many different voices out there and consumers are hearing from all these different people and you have to make your voice stand out. And how do you do that? Well, you got to hustle. You got to work harder. You got to have something distinctive. You have to have something great and interesting to say and that can be challenging. And for one particular group that can be challenging for are introvert musicians. Um, introverts might have heard all the things that I say about the new music industry and how you have to hustle and you have to get yourself out there. And that can be a horrifying prospect for introverts um, in the abstract. Because you, you say to me, Ryan, you're telling me that I have to network more 
that I have to get myself out there more. You know, that's not, that doesn't really work with my, my brain. I can't, I, I, that's not me. You know, introverts are, you know, for, for those of you who are light on the sort of psychological lingo, introverts are people, and I know I'm going to get the definition wrong. So for actual introverts out there, I apologize if this is insensitive in any way, but introverts are people who, uh, their energy is diminished by being around other people, groups of people, um, and they gain energy by being alone. So introverts aren't necessarily shy people. Um, you know, in fact, uh, I know some introverts who are actually, you know, very engaging, but it's just one of those things where if they're around people for too long, they sort of get depleted, they get tired, they get, uh, and they just sort of need some, they need to have time alone and to kind of recharge their batteries and get themselves back into a, uh, a good place. And, and so, for an introvert, that might present a new challenge in the music industry because you have to network more and you have to get yourself out there more. But one of the things that Casey Van Wensum identifies in this article is that the new music industry and its increased emphasis on promotion doesn't work against introverts. In fact, it works for introverts, very much so, because a centerpiece of the new music industry promotion is social media. And though it might seem counterintuitive because you might say, um, it might seem counterintuitive, social media is a a good thing for introverts. Uh, You know, you might say as an introvert, well, if an introvert doesn't like talking to a few people, they certainly wouldn't want to have to talk to many people on social media. And no, you have it backwards. Um, In many ways, social media can be helpful for introverts, as Casey Van Wensum uh, points out in this article, and I'll read directly from the article. In contrast to a real-life networking event, Social media allows you to take your time, observe the situation, collect your thoughts, and think before you speak. This actually gives you, the introvert, an advantage over many extroverts who may not possess the same observational skills or reflective nature. So, social media works for introverts well because even though you are getting your message out to many people, you don't have to actually be in the same room with them. And you don't have to you know, talk to them right away simultaneously. It's, you know, you're behind a screen. You can, you can think about how you want to present yourself. You can be reflective. Um, you can, you know, be alone while your energy is up, uh, while your energy is higher before you make decisions on how to put yourself out there. So this is, this new music industry could be great for introverts, which is great because frankly, and this is just sort of editorializing on my point, I think we need more introvert voices in the music industry. You know, so many songs out there in music are about partying, hanging, you know, getting with big groups of people, going out, partying, drinking. And, you know, by the way, and I'm not hating, like, you know, if, if that's your thing, like if that's your kind of song, that's great. And I love, and, and there are plenty of songs about partying and having a good time with a bigger group of people that I like. But I think it's also nice to, you know, hear songs that appeal to people who that maybe isn't their bag. Um, you know, the first thing I can think of is that song by, I think I'm going to get her name butchered here, but Alicia Kara, she had that song, that song called here, um, in which she sings about, and you can look this song up if you don't know it. It's a huge hit right now. And I love this song, but basically she's singing about how she's at a party and you know, there's people drinking and smoking and there's a big crowd and the singer of the song is just super uncomfortable. Um, you know, she's like, she's around a bunch of people, but really she just wants to be at home. She, you know, she like, you know, she's an, you know, she, it sounds introverted. Like, you know, her, her batteries are depleted by being around all these people. She just wants to be alone. She needs to collect her thoughts. She wants to be within a, with a small group of people talking about just, you know, listening to music and things like that. And it's a cool song. And it's like, it should be like the introverts anthem. And it makes you know, that kind of personality cool as it should be, because there's lots of cool things about introverts and and their reflective nature. And so the point is we need more music like that, that lets other listeners who are themselves introverts feel like they have a voice in the music industry and feel like they're part of the zeitgeist and the popular culture. And so introverts, we need you in the music industry and we need you to be DIY artists and social media can help you do that. Um, because you don't necessarily have to get out there and physically network. Um, one of the other things that intro uh, that the, one of the other ways that social media, um, can help introverts, uh, promote themselves. And, uh, Casey Van Wensum talks about this in the article. 
Um, Casey talks about how um, social media, a big aspect of promoting yourself on social media is to not just promote yourself, but to shine the light on others. This is a critical part of promoting yourself on social media. So just, just to get this from the outset, you know, quick Twitter tip, not that I'm any kind of Twitter genius, but I've heard this from other people who are successful on social media is as an artist, if all you're doing on your social media is promoting you is saying, look what I'm doing. Here's me doing this. Here's me in the studio. Here's my album. Here's my blog post. Me, 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 me. That's bad use of Twitter. You know, you're part of a community on social media and you need to, you know, recognize that there are other people in those community, in that community and shine the light on others. Um, if other artists are doing cool stuff, retweet them, tell other people about them. Uh, it's, it makes you a good Twitter citizen and, uh, it, it makes you look more like a human being. If you're all, if you're only tweeting about yourself, it makes you look like an egomaniac. Human beings care about other human beings. And so you should on Twitter. How does all this help introverts? Well, as is said in the article here, I'll quote again, because your identity is shaped by the things that you love, uh, i.e. the people you hang out with, the music you listen to, the books you read, etc. Social media is a great opportunity to display your personality without putting yourself in the spotlight. That's good for introverts. You don't have to divulge your deepest, darkest secrets or post endless selfies to be successful on social media. In fact, if you truly don't like talking about yourself that much, using social media to share about others rather than yourself will give fans a more authentic idea of who you are. So social media can take the pressure off you as an introvert. You don't have to make everything about you. You can use your platform to shine the light on others, which um, uh, indirectly helps your career and makes you a more engaging person. But you don't have to put yourself in the spotlight all the time. That's one of the great things about social media. So that's another cool thing about how social media is a useful thing for introverts. So introverts... Don't think that the music industry doesn't belong to you anymore just because, you know, promotion is such a more important thing in the music industry because you don't have record labels anymore to help promote you. If anything, the new promotional landscape is good for introverts. It's, it favors introverts because it favors a platform, social media, that is uh, much more conducive, uh, much more uh, beneficial to introverts than, say, direct face-to-face -face networking is. Um, and so... Uh, I look forward to the introverted DIY musicians out there uh, to uh, create some great music and promote it effectively. And I'd love to uh, hear some of that music. If you have a, if, if you're an introverted musician, you have some great, you know, kind of, you know, probing inner self, you know, songs. Um, I'd love to hear them. Email me, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. And I want to throw in one other note here. Um, something that uh, I've, um, not directly related to the article I just spoke about, but it's something I think is interesting about networking. You see a lot of articles out there that tell DIY artists that it's important to network. You got to network, 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 network. Networking is critical and all that's true. Um, but if you feel like networking sounds like a drag, you're not alone. I don't like networking either. And it's not that I don't like meeting people. I love to meet people. Um, I love I love to, you know, talk to people about the stuff they're doing. That's why I like interviewing people on this podcast. Um, but just the idea of like, instead of just getting to meet people organically, like you have to sort of make it like a chore, like, oh, I have to network this week. That's, that, that, that's not fun for me. Um, and so I understand if you're a musician, if you're a musician, you're telling me I hate to network. I'm with you. Um, and so, and, and I imagine if you're particular, if you're, if you're an introvert, that makes it all the worse, but um, I can just throw one quick tip for you in, in terms of networking. And I, I only give this tip because it's something that's been really helpful for me. Um, one way that you can make networking less painful um, and to make it less painful by, you know, not, you know, making it something that's a chore that you have to do um, is make is um, to create some kind of platform for yourself that allows you to regularly meet other creators and other creative types and other music industry professionals um, and also use it to promote yourself at the same time. And that is by starting a blog or starting a podcast or starting some sort of media creation, a YouTube series perhaps, in which you regularly speak to and interview other artists or music industry figures for your show. For two reasons. One, it would be great. I want to see more 
podcasts by artists. I want to see more YouTube series by artists. I want to see more blogs by artists in which they talk to other artists and other industry professionals. I think that would be a cool thing to do for any artist and a great way to promote yourself and to kind of be unique and cut through the clutter. Secondly, it's a great way to network. It's a net, it's a way to network where it's not a chore, where it's not, I actually I have to go to this conference and I have to pass my business card out to 300 people. This is direct, more organic networking. When you have people on whatever your creative show is each week, it's instant networking. And I can tell you from my personal experience, since I've started this podcast, uh, God, it's been three, four months, something like that. Uh, I, I'm having even five months, even good Lord. I've, I've been doing this for a while. Um, It's been a, I mean, I didn't expect this, but it's been a great way to network. I've met so many artists. I've gotten to meet so many different industry figures just by having them on my show. And, um, it's, it's been great for me. I've even, I've even, uh, created some client contacts. I've picked up a client or two. I've helped other lawyers and other people. Um, I've been able to help other artists out, uh, that I've had on the show. Um, it's been awesome. And it's networking, but it doesn't feel like a chore. It's just like, it's just what I like to do, which is talking to people. And so it might, that might be a, a, a nice kind of cheat code for networking that uh, you all might want to uh, look into as well. Um, and if you don't like interviewing people uh, verbally simultaneously, um, as I do on this podcast, maybe you do one of these things where you interview somebody each week for a blog and reprint the interview. Uh, there's a great website and oh, doggone it. I can't remember the name of it. Maybe I'll put it in the the show description, but it's a website where, um, you, it actually like repent prints interviews as speech bubbles. Um, and you can re and you can put that on your blog and it's an instant interview right there. Um, Oh God, you know, it'd be cool. Like what if you had an interview segment, you know, I'm just going to give this away free advice. Like I almost want to use this for myself, but I'm going to give it to you, the artist. How about a segment where you text a, uh, a per like text an in- a music industry figure where, you don't display their phone number on there, but basically you have like an iPhone text conversation with some music industry figure and you as an artist, and you just reprint the text as a running blog. Um, like, you know, you, you, you screenshot the, the photo of the, of the text message blog and you make a blog about that. Um, that would be, I would, that's interesting. It's unique. I'd love to read it. And, um, it'd be a great segment to help you promote your career and it's Instant networking without having to feel like it's a chore work. Oh God, I'm passing out business cards and going to conferences. Anyway, um, that's uh, what you got there. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to you guys next time, at which point I'll be in Los Angeles. Um, I'll, I'll, if you're Again, if you're at NAM, um, hit me up uh, uh, at Ryan K-A-I-R on Twitter or email me breakthebusiness at gmail.com and um, you know maybe I'll see you there. Um, thanks very much for listening. Our thanks to Aaron M. Jacobson. Um, thank you all for uh, joining me on this solo venture. Um, uh, Dave, if you're listening, I hope Macau is going well. And I'll see you all next week on the Break the Business Podcast. Mm-hmm.